staccato handguns are trusted and approved by over 900 elite law enforcement agencies, including 65 SWAT teams. When it comes to accuracy and reliability, the choice is easy with staccato. Hey, welcome back to Policing Matters. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, be sure and check out our YouTubes. You can actually see the people that we're talking to on the podcast, and they are interesting people. Today, I've got a great guest for you. Frontline officers at any law enforcement agency are the backbone of the agency, of course, but some officers have the ability to perform without second guessing or unreasonable restrictions. They are self-motivated. They do a great job without having someone look over their shoulder. Great leaders give those officers a degree of confidence and autonomy. They give them enough training, resources, and supervision to do a great public service. Well, today I am speaking with Chief Jerry Garner. He's a chief who fits the bill. He has authored several books on leadership, including The Basic Handbook of Police Supervision, A Practical Guide for Law Enforcement Supervisors. He's done Leading Cops, Police Chief 101, Leading a Small Department, and others. Well, Gerald W. Jerry Garner is a 53-year veteran of law enforcement. He is the chief for the Corneth Police Department in Texas. He is an instructor who is taught as at the International Association of Chiefs of Police and at the FBI National Academy. Welcome to Policing Matters, Chief Jerry Garner. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. Yeah, great to have you. I've been looking through some of the excerpts from your books. They are great. Uh, let me ask you, starting right off, what separates great chiefs from merely good ones or, you know, what goes on besides them? Right. Well, I've had a chance because I've known for a long time in my career, I wanted to be a police chief. So I've spent a lot of time watching what police chiefs have done. And since I've been a police chief for the last 18 years, I've continued looking at that. And I think some, some things, particularly a couple of them become particularly clear. Uh, for one thing, I think the successful chiefs, and this may sound corny, but I found it to be true, serve as excellent role models for their people. And it gets down to, you can't expect your people to be doing something that you're not doing yourself. I think the, other than being the excellent role model, which I think is probably number one, it's the willingness to get out there and visit, listen to, talk to people. And by people, I mean both your employees, as far as what's on their minds, and the people in the community. Uh, to me, from what I've seen, being a successful police chief, you're not going to be able to go into a sandbag mentality, fort up, and not talk to people. You've got to be getting out there, hearing what the concerns are, whether it's your people or whether it's somebody in the community. You've got to be a people person. And maybe your style is to be an extrovert. And that's mine. I'd rather go home and read a book or watch television. But you can't afford to do that when you're a police chief. You've got to be out there talking to people and more important than the talking, listening to people. I think those are the are the two really big ones. Yeah, absolutely. 100% with you there. And uh, you get feedback from officers under your command, sometimes directly, some, sometimes through the telegraph. Uh, what is the most common complaint from line level officers about command? You know, I think the complaint that I've heard through the years, both when I was a sergeant, a lieutenant, captain, whatever, and a chief of police, has been that 
command staff, not just the chief, but the people at the top of the organization don't really know what's going on. They were maybe a police officer on the street somewhere back in the distant past. Uh, we know they were a cop sometime, but they don't really know what our issues are today. They've kind of lost touch. And maybe we don't see them often enough. We don't get to talk to them often enough uh, that the boss doesn't really know what the job is. And that can, that can lay you low pretty quickly if your people lose confidence in you that way. That's, the I think, the one that I hear the most. Yeah, I am smiling broadly because my own my own two sons are in the police department that I served for, and uh, they told me, "You don't know what's going on." I I was the deputy chief um, when both sons were still working when I was still working when they were working, and they had they were telling me I had no idea what was going on, and you don't know and. So I, I just grin and bear it. And, you know, I love hearing their stories and um, I listen as if I've never experienced what they did. But, um, you know, I know things change over the years and you've been in the department long enough uh, to know in the, in the industry long enough to know things do change. But I think basic policing is basic policing. And it gets me into the next question about the chief's job. and. Uh, you know, a friend of mine told me that the chief's job is to be the blank screen. Uh, you can leave the blank up to your imagination, but the blank screen between police officers and politics. And I believe that to be true. What's your opinion on that? The chief's role and the line officers, uh, how do politics fit in? And I think part of that explanation, certainly of being the screen, from some of the stuff so that the officers don't have to deal with it is true. And one of the things that I've kind of pointed out to my cops sometimes, uh, I think sometimes an officer thinks anytime somebody complains about anything, there's an investigation and I get asked to write memorandums or be interviewed or whatever it might be. And I don't think they realize that not just the chief, but some of the command staff level people screen out a lot of those things that never get to the officer. We're able to give the caller or the person who comes in mad here's what the officer did and why he did it. And the officer never even hears about it. And I think our cops don't necessarily always realize that goes on. But the other piece of it, what our cops I think refer to a lot of the time as the political piece, uh, you have to understand the politics of the area that you're working in, that city or that county, without becoming a, uh, a politician yourself. And I know that sounds kind of, uh, again, strange, but you have to know what the political lay of the land is. And I know your cops sometimes, and I did this as a young cop, well, what does the chief do exactly? I know he goes out and drinks a lot of coffee with people, and he sometimes has lunch with them, and he goes to the Civic Club or the Chamber of Commerce, but I'm not really sure what he does. And that's not the screen part of the job. That is the, here's what we do, and here's why we do it. And by the way, here's what we need from you, part of the job, where you go out and you associate with the town board or city council members or the mayor or the town manager, and you hit the civic clubs, the optimists or the rotary or whoever it might be, and talk about, because people love to talk about police work. They really do. Well, here are some of the challenges of the job. Here's what some of my people are going through. And by the way, uh, you have some really great people working for you. And that's a point, I think, uh, that all of your people expect you to be able to do, is when people meet you in the restaurant or wherever and say, hey, chief, you're doing a great job. 
the right response always, hey, well, thank you, but it's my people that are doing a great job. I've got some good people. You can be very proud of them. I'm proud of them. Your officers probably don't, don't know that you do that a lot, but that's one of the things that you have to do. And as you're talking about how you handle the situations that officers run into, how the cops do these things, you also get into the, your, to your message. And here's what we could use to do even a better job. And so are you lobbying for your cops? Yeah, to an extent you can. We need more people or we need more cars or we need more money or whatever it might be. We need a canine program because we don't have one or whatever. You do that on a daily basis. So that is politicking for want of a better term, but it's politicking for good, for letting people know what your folks are going through, what they need, and to hit that drum all the time. For many of us, it's constantly beating the drum about, you know, we're in, in competition with every other police agency in the state for the best people. If we're not paying at that level, if we're not taking care of our people, we're not gonna be able to compete. So you're beating that drum all the time among the others that you also have to be letting people know about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great words of wisdom there. Politics is huge. We've seen the impact since COVID. Nobody ever thought that police would be enforcing laws about public health issues and masking and gathering and all of that. Uh, you've been around 53 years, so you know something about politics. And as a chief, it's a tough balancing act, isn't it, between uh, doing what's right for your agency and for your people and uh, somewhat mitigating uh, to the politicians so that you can keep your job as well. We saw a lot of chiefs either leave or get forced out in 2020, 2021. Um, what's, what's the secret there? Well, you know, and again, it, it may sound corny and it may sound oversimplified, but you're much less likely to get yourself into a bind where you don't have your job anymore. If, and this gets back to that role model thing again, you're doing the right thing. And what I'm talking about here is if you as a chief are out doing what I call, and I use this speech, whether I'm talking to officers, sergeants, or I'm talking to a bunch of chiefs, don't do stupid. If you're out doing things that can come back to bite you, if you're done doing unethical things, if you're doing improper things, that makes it much easier for a politician, some community leader, somebody to come to you and say, hey, there's something I want you to do for me, because that person knows that you haven't been exactly on the straight and narrow yourself. It makes it much easier for him or her to approach you and ask you to do something that you know is unethical, that you know is improper. So I think if you're following the rules yourself, if you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing, not cheating not following one set of rules for you and having another set for your officers. If you're doing the right thing, you're not vulnerable. You're not giving people ammunition to shoot you down with and lose your job over. Now there are things, and I think all of us that have been in this business a while know this, it's kind of like there are things can happen that your boss is going to decide, Hey, I have to show I'm doing something here. It's kind of like the NFL coach that he's, his team is losing. They've been losing a lot. Uh, what's the owner got to do? I've got to show that I'm doing something. So I guess I know I'll fire the coach. That can happen in policing as well. Maybe an event happened in the very middle of the night. You're asleep. You had nothing to do with it whatsoever. But your boss is getting enough pressure, whether that boss be the city manager or the mayor or whomever. I've got to show we're doing something. So I'm going to show the chief the door. Now, you can't do a whole lot about that kind of political situation. 
but there are so many situations that you can prevent from ever happening in the first place if you don't make yourself vulnerable by being stupid. That's key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, those those midnight calls or those late night calls been there and you you just said it. How how do you avoid those? You can't. But there are minefields and sometimes uh, we can anticipate them, but how do you know what you don't know? Well, I think one of the ways that you can minimize what you don't know a whole lot is, again, being really active and being in communication all the time with people in the community, people in your own organization. Your cops know what's going on on the street. They know what's going on at the line level in your department more than you do. And if you're not talking to them, and more important, if you're not listening to them, if when you're not listening to folks, that's when that thing comes out of the dark and latches onto your rear end. And you Mm. thought everything was going well, but you weren't listening. You weren't staying tuned in. And that's where you get surprised. So I think there's always the surprise that you didn't see coming. But I think you can minimize that simply by talking to people, listening to people, staying in touch, watching the media on what's going on in your community, just listening to what's happening, what people are concerned about. And you can lower the chances of one of those surprises coming along and grabbing you. You can't totally eliminate it but you can make that a lot less likely if you just stay involved, got your ears open, got your eyes open. It's what's going on in your community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that audits are so important. Um, you know, it, it, they're anecdotal and they're sometimes rare, but the officer who gets into a crash and then you find out that they're driving with a suspended driver's license or something else like that. And then a lot of agencies use some version of an inner, uh, an early intervention program. Did you use those there? Yes. And we're a small enough agency here that basically my early intervention program is my first line supervisors. Uh, they know who their people are. They know what their people's issues are and are able to stay on top of that. At a larger agency, I would use one of the packages for basically doing this. But in a smaller agency, you can rely on those frontline those frontline supervisors to, to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, what you do for public, I, want to, I don't want to call it public relations, but public communications and crisis communications. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Choose the handgun trusted by over 900 law enforcement agencies across the country. With Staccato, you can feel confident knowing you aren't sacrificing incredible accuracy for reliability. Whether you're protecting your family at home or on duty, Staccato has your back. Military and law enforcement receive discount pricing through the Staccato Heroes Program. Visit www.staccato2011-heroesprogram.com to learn more. That's Staccato, S-T-A. C-C-A-T-O 2011 backslash heroes dash program.com. And we're back and I'm speaking with Chief Jerry Garner in Texas. Police leaders, Chief, are sometimes silent after a critical incident rather than go before the media to discuss policies and procedures relating to that critical incident. I know it is often because of the investigation's ongoing, or maybe fear of a lawsuit. But rather than accept the media narrative, how can a chief or sheriff respond 
um, in a timely fashion, but being careful of the facts. And I think you are really hitting on one of my hot buttons there. Uh, something that a police chief or sheriff has to do when there's a critical incident of any kind. It may be, and frequently it is an officer involved shooting, but it could be something else like uh, maybe you've had to arrest one of your officers for doing some felony crime, allegedly. Uh, the chief, the sheriff, the big boss has got to be out there. And you don't shove the PIO out front. You don't shove some poor deputy out front while you hide under the desk. That's something the head of the agency has to be out there for. The citizens expect it. Your own officers expect it. And you get back, for example, to the officer-involved shooting. I know over the years, I'm sure I've had a, a few DAs put on a, a frowny face or maybe an investigator put on a frowny face because the chief came out right away and said something. Uh, and what I would say, if that is the case, is generally something like this. We're very early in the investigation, but everything we know at this point indicates what the officer or officers did was absolutely appropriate. If I've got a way, do I want to make the DA mad or do I want to abandon my people? That's an easy decision for me to make. I'm going to not give away his case or make his job a whole lot harder, but I do need to come out and defend my people when they've done nothing wrong. And I think every chief, every sheriff should do that. And I think a lot of them, absolutely a lot of them do. So it's not a case. It's not a time for you to be afraid of the lawyers that you shouldn't say something. You need to get out there. And I've even had in my, in a past chief's job that I've had, uh, I've had to call a news conference because we had uh, arrested one of our own officers for a sex offense. And at the news conference, I told the reporters that had gathered there that, you know, I really enjoy coming and talking to you when I get to talk about a big bust that we made or something good that's going on in the department. But today, sadly, I have to tell you about something else, an arrest that we had to make. And I think they kind of appreciated that, that lead in to the news conference that we did. But you've got to get out there, whether the news is good or bad, and not somebody else being dependent upon to do it for you. As you said, as you pointed out, if you don't get the narrative out there quickly, now somebody else is going to do it for you, I guarantee. And particularly today, with the social media. I was listening to a, a media relations expert talking a while back, and she was telling us that, uh, you know, if you've waited more than an hour after a critical incident, you're already way behind the curve because mm -hmm. somebody has already put their version of events out there. They may even, have, may even have some video to go with it. So if you don't get out there quickly, you're already having to play catch up. So you can't wait with doing this. And today uh, you have to, as you well know, Jim, use the social media to get that word out there. It, it may be a while before the TV people or the radio folks will carry that story, but social media is gonna be on top of it right away. So you've got to use that medium to let people know what's happening, uh, what you know so far, and be ready to start answering questions that way. But you can't be silent. The, the short version, you can't be silent when something like that happens. You can't hunker down and wait for it to blow over. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think we're still suffering the effects of some of those false narratives. Uh, you talk about an hour. I mean, we're living two, three, five years after some of these events where, you know, I think, I think law enforcement officers seeing the news or seeing the first reports, they understand inside baseball. They understand what the reality is about use of force or, or whatever else. Um, but nobody gets it out there. And so the, the narrative starts and then we live with it. So that's, that's great advice within 
you know, the hour, the hour yeah. concept. You know, Jim, what I've, what I have found is even with all the cop shows and movies, et cetera, out there, which we could, we could comment on right now, both of us, there is still a huge lack of knowledge, lack of information about what cops do and why they do it. So particularly now when there's been, uh, including some justified criticism uh, directed at us, we've got to get out there with telling people, hey, we're the good guys. That Are there a few knuckleheads in our business, just like there are in every business? Uh, yeah, there are. But 99.9% .9 of us are good people doing what we should be doing. And we need to let people know that. So I think one of our jobs right now is to get out there in whatever, whatever venue we can to tell people who we are, what kind of folks we have, in what we're doing. We can't be silent and let the let the bad guys drive the drive the message. Absolutely. Hey, some of your books spotlight the role of the small department chiefs' roles and responsibilities. How is that approach different from say a large agency or a larger agency? We know that most up 75% of America's law enforcement agencies are under 20 officers. So I think I think you've got a lion's share of, of uh, readers out there eager to look at these books. You know, it's uh, we have chiefs of smaller agencies. I think we face virtually all of the challenges that the big city chiefs face uh, with some additional ones thrown in. And I think uh, probably the big ones there are a lack of resources. And that can be people resources. It can be money resources. Uh, I know, for example, having served as a, a chief in a city of over 100,000 people, I had all the special units. I had a bomb squad. I had canines. I had a, a, a drug task force, SWAT, etc. And then retiring from there, deciding I wanted to come back into police work again at a smaller department, instead of being the guy who was loaning all these special units to smaller departments, now I am the smaller department having to go hat in hand and ask for these things. And it's okay, it's doable, because one of the first things that you're going to do if you're coming into a department as a small agency chief, you're going to, and you know this, Jim, you're going to go out and meet all the players. You're going to meet the sheriff. You're going to meet the other departments around you, particularly the bigger departments, so that when you need something, uh, they know who you are. They know that, gee, you don't have uh, a tail or horns or anything like that. You're a good guy. And I've never had somebody turn me down for some resource that I needed. So you've got to make those relationships if you're a smaller department chief. Uh, obviously, the other challenge we run into resource-wise is simply being able to get and then hold good people. Uh, most of us can't pay what the bigger departments can. So you've got to look for something else, whether it be the equipment we issue you, the crime level we issue you, uh, or that you have to deal with. You're not running call to call all night long. You have some time to do police work. Uh, you're not overloaded. It's, it's lower pressure here. Uh, you need to sell your department, even though you can't pay the high salary. There are some things that'll make you want to work for us. So you have to spend more time investing in that. So I think, you know, getting the resources, whether it's money, uh, people, the special equipment or special units, those are all challenges maybe that we face that maybe the big city chief doesn't, doesn't maybe face to the extent that we do. Yeah, I get that. We've been talking to mm, several smaller agency chiefs and uh, they're saying the same thing. It's, it's a lack of resources, lack of personnel. And, and clearly um, 
when when we have attrition in the ranks, it's especially hard at a smaller agency. Um, things like the Brady list, where a larger agency can absorb somebody, put them in a record room or property room. Uh, not so much at a smaller agency. I hear you. We can't afford uh, to take somebody off the street and create a special assignment for him. Uh, for example, in my state, if uh, let's say the Dallas Police Department is missing four officers for whatever reason, nobody notices. It's Dallas. Uh, in a department my size, if four officers are missing, you are in serious deep trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, respectful of your time, I'd like to wrap up and uh, get your final thoughts and your advice for someone in probably a smaller agency moving up the ranks, uh, assuming a level of command, maybe even chief. What's your advice to them? What, what should their priorities be? You know, I think hopefully if you're thinking about wanting to do that uh, someday, basically right now, today is the first day to start preparing for that. And part of that preparation is to what you do your job now. And Jim, you and I both know this. Why would I promote somebody if I'm the big boss that he's not doing his current job or she's not doing their current job well? Hmm. So be sure what you're doing now, you're doing it well. If you do get to the position where it looks like you're going to have the opportunity to become the police chief in that department, you need to have a lot of information first. Now, if you're coming up from within, you already have an advantage from the over the guy or the gal that's coming in from outside. Because hopefully, if you've been there a while, you know what the strengths of the agency are. You know the people there, that you know this guy is strong in this, this person isn't quite as strong. You know who the players are, and that's going to help you, I think, because you're going to need to do some promotions. You're going to need to put some people in some places if you're the new chief. You can't have too much information. And one of the pieces of information you're going to want to know, and I know, again, Jim, you know this, is why am I being offered this job? And by the way, what happened to the last chief? Well, if he retired with cake, that's good. If he retired without cake, maybe that's not so good. So why was he shown the door? And what is the situation ethically, uh, legally? What's going on in that city, of uh, that town? Is this place somewhere I want to be chief? And occasionally it'll happen that you know somebody who's maybe being tapped for the chief or might be looks at the situation and says, you know, I'm not so sure I want to be chief here. I don't like the way things are looking, the way they do business. Maybe I want to stay at the level I'm at, or maybe I want to start shopping outside for a chief's job. So what's going on? Why does your hopefully new boss want you in this position? And what kind of chief does he want you to be? Does he want you to be a status quo chief? Does he want you to be a change agent? Things are going along pretty well. So I want you to be a status quo chief. Uh, or they're not going so well. I want you to fix things. I want you to change things. You need to know what it is you're expected to do. Because if let's say things are going well and you decide I'm going to come in as a change agent and start turning things upside down, you're going to run into problems right away. So listening, watching, finding out as much as you possibly can about what's going on in that jurisdiction, in that department, are probably the first things you can do if you think you're focusing on being a police chief in that organization. Know as much as you can, do your current job well, and not to keep repeating this too much, but it's true, don't do stupid. <laughs> that is great advice. Can't go wrong with that one. Model the behavior and don't do stupid. 
Chief, if, if, you know, you hit me with a, a, a new one there, retiring with cake or retiring without cake. I, we learned that from a, a fire chief, and I think it's very, very descriptive of how people leave an agency sometimes. Yeah, no, the visual was clear. I, I thought of all the, <laughs> the great people who left my organization with cake. And uh, for the record, I had a cake. And um, yeah, it's and then you you remember, wow, whatever. Hey, what happened to that guy? And, you know, they just slipped off silently into the night. So, hey, I think our listeners will benefit from taking a look at your books, uh, Police Chief 101 and, and some of the others that you've written. Um, we've got you down in show notes. I think all your books are available on Amazon and we'll post a link as well. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. It's been my pleasure, Jim. Thank you very much. All right. And to our listeners, let me know what you think. Drop me an email at policingmatters at police1.com. Policingmatters at police1.com. Let me know what you think. Hey, stay safe and I hope to be talking to you again real soon. All right. We'll see you. Take care. <laughs>